All right, thank you, men. Uh, Daniel Sample is going to come and preach tonight for us. Tonight for us, he doesn't really need an introduction, but I do need to say a couple things. Tonight is his last service as our intern, and even here in Huntsville before he heads up and gets married. So he's going to be with us at the Wilds this week, and then heading up to Wisconsin to prepare. And we really have appreciated all that he's done for us as a church, some of it that you've seen, a lot of it behind the scenes, and he has been a great, great encouragement to all the staff and and me especially. So he's going to come up uh, and present God's word for us tonight. Thank you. I do want to go ahead and start off by uh, expressing the same uh, thanks to my church family for not just having me as an intern, uh, but for putting up with me every step up until the intern point. Uh, I am very grateful to have been here and been encouraged by all of you. Uh, some of you who may not known, <laughs> may not have known, and some of you who have been very intentional uh, with how you've treated me. And I do want to say thank you because it has helped impact where I'm at in my life. Uh, it has been a blessing to be a part of this family. Uh, and especially through my internship uh, and getting to know uh, Pastor Ben just a little bit better, which I have really much enjoyed. I was also given the privilege to see something that most people who go through a youth group do not get the pleasure to see, which is a youth pastor growing up, which was cool. Got to see Pastor Ben and his ordination process. That was exciting. And it's that same topic of growth that I want to talk about tonight. I was joking when I referred to him growing up. He's it's pretty cool. So, uh, when, I, when we talk about growth, there's a lot of confusion that can tend to come. There's a lot of different ways things can grow. One thing that I think, uh, I think I hope you all agree with me is some things grow a little bit too fast, such as, you know, I'm probably due, a cut, due for a cut right now. I got hair that grows a little bit too fast that I've been waiting to cut. Another thing that grows pretty well is a height. Uh, I always grew up hearing something, and if you'll do me a favor, you'll help me complete this sentence. Uh, if you want to grow big and strong, eat your... Vegetables, yeah, okay. I hate vegetables, uh, desperately. I despise them. I hate them with a perfect hatred. Uh, There is not a bit where I would choose to put vegetables in my body for my own good. But I realized I got two younger brothers. I don't want them to get taller than me, so I'm going to go ahead and eat my vegetables. That, That would just be embarrassing if they got taller than me. So I got to a nice height, and I went off to college, and I came back, and lo and behold, uh, Nick Sample, my brother, was taller than me. I was like, okay, he ate more vegetables than me. That makes sense. It's okay. He's allowed to be taller than me. I will allow this one. And so I went to college again, and I came back, and then my other brother, James, is taller than me. And I know for a fact, I ate more vegetables than him. (laughs) I could count the vegetables he's eaten on a napkin. But I realized that our way we grow physically, our physical growth, is not as cut and dry. There is not really a clear metric or standard to guarantee height. (laughs) There is not a clear metric. There is not a clear gauge or, or, or way that we can ensure that we will continue to grow. As you can probably tell, I've probably stopped growing. I don't think I'm going to pass them again. I, I, there, there's not much I can do now. No matter how many vegetables I eat, I think I'm stuck right about here. And, uh, and, and tonight, I am going to be talking about a different type of growth. One that I am glad is not held to the same confusing restrictions as our height. I'm talking about our spiritual growth which is not limited by outside factors, by, by random events, our spiritual growth, which does not have uh, random criteria, but a spiritual growth has a clear criteria. Spiritual growth has a clear process to follow. Uh, tonight, if you go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about something we, we all pretty much know, know a lot about, hopefully, salvation. Salvation. Salvation is something that is core to the Christian. It is the greatest thing that has ever happened to any person. 
Salvation, which happens when we accept Christ as our Savior and ask Him to come and be our Savior. It is the most important thing to happen to a human, but what we fail to do sometimes is talk about the process of salvation. Uh, while, you're, while you're looking at Philippians chapter 2, I, I'm going to let you guys know. I'm going to be turning to a lot of passages tonight. I don't want you to go with me on all of them because you're probably going to get a paper cut. But, but I've got all the passages. I'm going to talk through them. And I want to explore these two verses we're going to see in Philippians chapter 2 and examine what it means to be working on our growth process. And in the process of salvation, uh, I think it's pretty important to identify some tenses, uh, which, thanks to Mrs. Seidel, I know means time. <laughs> the time of salvation. There's three verses I want to look at. We've got uh, in, in the past, salvation according to uh, Titus verse, chapter 3, verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which ye have done, but according to his mercies, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's a past aspect. He saved us. That's when we would have accepted Christ as our Savior. That, that, that starts, that begins this good work that he's doing. And then we have the future aspect that we think of. With, with Romans 13, 11, it says, And that knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. There's a future aspect. Our salvation is getting closer. The beginning is in the past. The, the, the future is coming closer. That is when we will be glorified in heaven. And yet, we have another step. We're still here on earth. We are not perfected yet. We are still saved. So what, what is it that's going on? Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, and the Greek is going to be a little bit more uh, active than that, it says, but unto us which are being saved, there's an active tense to it, it is the power of God. Our salvation right now is active. Our salvation is occurring currently. And this, this conversation we're going to have in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 tonight is regarding our current position, our present tense salvation, the work of our sanctification. Now, our sanctification is the process of growth that occurs between now and heaven. And we are going to try and figure out what on earth we're supposed to do with it. How are we supposed to grow what am I supposed to do? And, I, and this is the one that I'm really interested in. What is my part? How do I ensure that I am growing as I ought to? So let's go ahead and read our verses. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 say, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Father, thank you so much for the promises you give us. I pray, I pray that as we explore uh, our, our responsibility tonight and our, and our growth and our, and our knowledge of you, that, that you would help us to, to rightly understand what you have intended with these verses, rightly understand what, what you have called each of us to do personally and what that may look like for our lives. Father, we know uh, there, is, there is no power in any one of our works alone. There is no power in anything any of us may do aside from you. But, Father, we are grateful that through your revelation, we may understand what it is to know you more. Pray that you'd help this be a time of uh, understanding and a time of, uh, a time of choices. <laughs> I pray that you bless this message in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have our verses. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, if there's anything I could convey tonight, if there's anything that I think has value that we all need to understand tonight, I would say that it's this one truth we're going to talk about, this first truth we're going to talk about, which is that sanctification is active. 
We all have a responsibility to be active in our sanctification. So if we're going to ask a question tonight, we're going to, we're going to divvy this up. We're going to put some divisions of labor on this. We're going, to, we're going to say, all right, what do I do? What does God do? We're going to start off by looking, what is our responsibility? What is our objective? What is our command in the process of sanctification? What am I supposed to do? How can I grow? We see the first thing, as I mentioned, we are to be active in our growth. There is nothing we can do where we just sit back and let it happen. This is something that God has commanded us to be active with the words, work out your own salvation. This passage isn't somehow insinuating that, uh, that our, the responsibility is to, to earn our salvation or anything of the sort, but it's saying that we have to live it out, to work on it, to build onto it, the salvation that began when we accepted Christ. Now we have the responsibility to build, to add on it. The passage uh, we did in Bible study with the teens, uh, 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, giving all diligence with everything you've got, add to your faith, build onto it. That's how we grow. It's, it, there has to be an active intention. And notice the progression that even Paul puts in this. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. He says, You obeyed when I was there. You're obeying more when I'm not there. Keep obeying. Keep obeying to work out your salvation, to build onto your salvation so you can live it out and work on it. And God has put, I don't think it's wrong to say that God has put a priority on our obedience. And this passage isn't the only one that gives a command. I, I, as I mentioned, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 tells us to give all diligence, add to our faith, add to our salvation, build onto it. Colossians 3, 1 through 5 is, is, is full of uh, phrases such as, uh, seek those things which are above, set your affections on things above, and then tells us sins to avoid. He says, so there's a level of this where we have to intentionally be looking for things that are good and looking for things that are wrong and removing the wrong and building on to the good, doing the right things, obedience in that manner. So we each have a responsibility to be active in pursuit of growth, but is the key there to simply do <laughs> Is, is it a list of things that we can simply act out? Is, is it just motions that we can participate in? Working on our own salvation can't simply consist of actions because if we relied only on the action, it would result in a hypocritical lifestyle. Uh, Jesus many times calls out hypocrites in his ministry. Uh, one of the most uh, I, th- I found direct was in uh, Matthew chapter 15 when he says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah the prophet saying of you, uh, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, And this is what he says next. But their heart is far from me. They are saying the right things. They can do all the right things. But their heart is far from me. There's got to be a factor beyond just our actions. There has to be a reason of heart. There has to be a method of heart. There has to be some level of desire to go along with it. There has to be some level of care put along with it. And that's something that we'll get into as we uh, keep moving through this. But our application for what we've looked at in the activeness of our sanctification is that we have to be active in what God commands. And we are not going to fully understand what God expects or commands of us unless we take the time to study it out and to understand it. We have to be students of his word. We're also supposed to have a correct view of God. So our makeshift definition as we're putting it together is we are supposed to be actively growing with a correct view of God. Notice verse 12. What does it say after that? It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this Greek pairing is actually used five times in the New Testament, and they're all used in context similar to this, but I found two that I think are are pretty much spot on for what we want to understand from the definition. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, it says, And his inward affection is more abundant towards you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. It's talking about the beginning of salvation there. It's talking about the initial acceptance of Christ. It's talking about the, how, how we viewed God when we realized that we needed him. How we viewed him when we realized how far we had gone from his plan, how far we had gone because we are nothing without him. And it's saying with that same fear and trembling, we accepted him. (laughs) Imagine viewing our God the same way we did when we accepted him as our savior. Imagine what that would look like every day. Seeing ourselves as broken, not taking his love for granted, but seeing ourselves as, as, as people who have nothing we can do on our own. It's been said that how we view God is one of the most important things about us. When, when someone says, God, what do you think of? That's, that's the idea there. That is one of the most important things about any person. And it communicates to us, it should communicate to us, how we're doing on our progress. How close are you growing? When someone says, God, what do you think? And the next verse I want to look at is uh, Ephesians 6.5. It talks about, uh, that uses these words, fear and trembling. It says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. I was talking there about someone who's specifically in the hierarchy, specifically someone who is to be uh, uh, putting you in submission, someone that you are supposed to see as better than yourself, someone that you are supposed to desire to serve. That is what it's using these words for. So our understanding means that we have to put the same diligence in what we do for our sanctification. We have to put the same diligence in our obedience that we would for a master. And Ephesians chapter 6 also has one verse that follows it up that clarifies. This is not just about actions. It says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God. And these next three words, from the heart. The heart. It keeps coming back to this point of the heart. It's not just obedience. It's not just, not just viewing God and understanding. It's, it, it, it has to be something that comes from our heart. Confirms that there has to be a heart's desire to follow him in this level of obedience So how do we get there? How can I steer my desires? They're pretty strong sometimes. And they're not always good. And I found that it's easy to fight symptoms. I can stop doing things. But it's hard for me to want the right things. There are probably some people in this room who are are fighting sin. A sin that they, they have lost to and lost to and they have grown weary and they have, they, have, they have attacked all the actions they can, but for whatever reason, they're realizing, I can't stop wanting this. I think we've all been there. I think we've all been places that we feel like we're alone because our desires are too strong. But as Pastor Ben mentioned today, our God doesn't give us temptations to watch us fail. Our God doesn't give us things to break us so he can fix us. Our God gives us temptations so that we can grow past them, so that we can beat them. But it still leaves the question, how do I change my desires? How can we change our hearts? And that's going to be answered in verse 13. Our application for this uh, first point, though, is in viewing God correctly. One of the most important things, as we said, about a person is what they think of when someone mentions God. And we're only going to think of God correctly if we know him. If we're putting time in to understand him, which comes from obedience and it comes from his word. That is how we get to know his character. So our definition right now is is that we are to be actively growing with a correct view of God. And here's the next bit that we're going to see in verse 13. And a reliance on him. 
There is nothing we can innately do of ourselves that is going to make this simplistic. Look at this. It says, for, for it is God which worketh in you to will and to do. It is God who works in us to will and to do, to want and to act. God is the one who works in our desires. We have no capacity to make a long-lasting change in our hearts, in and of ourselves. When we rely on our strength, we've got two options. There's two outcomes that can come. We can try it our way and fail and become apathetic, or we can try it our way, see some results, see maybe less, less sin action, and go, that's good enough. Neither of these is what God wants for us. Neither of these is what God wants us to choose. That's why we have passages such as Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24. I'm sure we've all heard these verses before. It says that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We'll skip 23 right now. And then it says, and that you put on a new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And that's probably how we think about a lot of our problems. Don't do bad, do good. Don't live like a sinner, live like a Christian. And we completely omit verse 23 of Ephesians chapter 4, which tells us, but, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It is not a vain action that I can perform. It is not something that I can simply do and do and do until I'm reached, I've reached perfection. There has to be a level of desire that is shifted. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be fixated, be focused. Put your attention back on Christ. And that's hard. That is difficult. That is tricky because it sometimes feels impossible. It sometimes feels impractical. It sometimes feels like it's the wrong answer entirely. But when we are struggling, when we are feeling like we are slaves to our sin and we have forgotten that we have been freed, there is a fixation that we need to have. We need to be readjusting ourselves back on Christ. And that comes by asking him, through sincerity, God, I may not want you right now. I don't want you right now, but I want to want you. God, I want to be so fixated on you. Please help. God, this is not a work that I can do. It is God which worketh in us to will and to do. God, as I follow you and as I obey and as I do these actions, I don't want them to be about me. I want them to be about you. I want you to help. Activity is included in both of these. Our, our, our God is active and, and we're... <laughs> We're supposed to be active. There's, 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 no, there's no one or the other. We are all supposed to be involved. And so we have the responsibility to find our old nature and remove it and to put on this new nature, but only as we start to renew our minds and focus on Christ. And as we focus our minds, our hearts, it's going to focus our desires which affect our actions. And we have to rely on God for this because our own strength is simply insufficient. We have no other choice but to rely on God. And our application for these three truths are, are kind of uh, stacking. They, they kind of build off of each other. To rely on a God, we have to know him. We're not going to rely on someone we don't trust. And we're not going to trust someone we don't know. We have to study his words. We have to be active in knowing his commands and knowing him. So that we can understand his character. So that we can trust his power. So our answer, our, our, our final answer, all right? This is, this is where we're going to leave it for now. What is the role of man in sanctification? What is the role of me? How do I make sure that I am growing? My role in personal sanctification is to actively pursue obedience to God's word with the right view of my God while relying on God for the, to supply the strength to obey. 
That, that, that's our job. And we're going to leave it there for now. We're going to come back to that later. I don't want to bomb you guys with, oh man, we've got a lot of work to do. But now we're going to take a, a look at a different side. We're going to look at what our God does. I want us to take a look at verse 13. What does our God do in our sanctification? It says in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 2, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Our God is active. We kind of established this already, but our God is active in our sanctification. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun the good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Our God, who started this, didn't just you know, drop off the Holy Spirit and say, Have a good one, and leave. He's with us. He's continuing to work. Our God is actively working in us to will and to do. Our God has not left us in the deep end and said, I'll see you when you're done. He has come to us. He has met us. He has given us every reason, tool, excuse to succeed. And the good work it's talking about here is obviously salvation. When it says he began the good work, it's once again uh, the fact that our salvation is a promise or a process, sorry, and it's true that God has promised us that he will actively continue his work until the process is completed, and that's, that's in heaven. So, so I'm not in heaven yet, which means that my God is still actively working. My God is still working in me to will and to do. We are told that we are supposed to have confidence in this truth. Isn't that a hope? Isn't that hopeful? We can have confidence that our God isn't done with us. We can have confidence that no matter how how buried I may be in my own sin, no matter how dark it may seem, my God is still working. That makes me smile. I don't know what you guys. It says in verse 13 that it is God which worketh. God did not give us salvation to step back like we said. His activity is promised and his methodology is given to us in his spirit. The spirit that is inside of us that is continuing to work. This supernatural ability that we don't understand. We don't understand how the spirit does all these things. We don't understand a lot of the time, but we do understand that it's a promise of God. And if we understand his character, we understand that we can trust him. There's a a downside to this, though. Since God is always active, pretty sure that means we're supposed to be always active, too. There's no timeouts in sanctification. There's There's no breaks. There's no recess. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys knew this, but I, uh, I was part of the team that went to New York. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be back in the States now. It's cool. Uh, but uh, there, was a, there was a bit where I was in charge of watching the kids. I took some kids to the playground, and I thought this was going to be a breeze. This is, this is like prime, like goofy Uncle Daniel job. I thought I had this. But the second we got inside of the playground my single-file soldiers decided to go all over the place. They ran up and, up and down things that I knew they were going to fall off of, and they did, and I started running over to try and catch one, but when I did that, another one fell off, and I was getting, I was getting scared. I was getting a little bit angry. I'm not going to confess to that too much, but I was, I was struggling a lot, and I said, guys, wait, 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 wait. Can we have a timeout? And they all stopped, and they all looked at me, and the, one of the younger ones looked at me and goes, kids don't have timeouts, and they all just went back to running. <laughs> And I'd imagine, I'm not a parent, but I'd imagine it's a similar feeling. When you've got a kid or multiple kids running around, you have this idea of like, okay, can we just take five minutes? Can we just hit the pause button? We don't get that liberty. We don't get that privilege. We have to be active. We have to be continuing to pursue him. There's no timeouts. The next thing we see is that our God is going to not just be active, but our God will actively give us a desire for growth. Notice what it says. It is God which worketh 
to will. What is perhaps the most challenging part of our life, and it's definitely the most challenging part of our life, is uh, the sin that we face and the ways that we are told by our society we are to deal with them. When sin is dominating any aspect of our life, no matter the time and energy we put into it of our own, it doesn't really seem like there's a way to stop the desire. And this is, once again, the second step of our process we see in Ephesians chapter 4, our renew. Our God is working inside of us to direct our minds to his good pleasure when we rely on him for strength and follow his commands. And only then can we ask him. Only then can we in faith say, all right, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. Please help. Fixate me on you. Put my focus on you. Let that be my goal. And some sin, some sin looks completely unbeatable. Once again, with the same question, how do we fight desire? It's God's power in us that lets us beat it when we are following him. One thing I always say is, okay, that sounds good. That sounds like a lot of spiritual mumbo-jumbo, though. What does that mean for my life? What effect does that genuinely have? What effect is this intangible peace to stop a tangible heart problem? It's kind of how my mind thinks, even though it may not be the most correct line of thinking. Ephesians chapter 1 And verses 19 and 20 tell us what kind of power our God is dealing with. He says, and he's continuing a thought about his his power, and it says, "And, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, the Christians, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. God tells us that while we pursue him, he will supernaturally guide our desires to align with his And when we are feeling doubtful, when we are curious if his strength is sufficient, uh, it reminds me of the passage we talked about last time I was up here preaching. Uh, My my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And while that may have a different context, the truth still remains because we see in this passage that the same grace, the same power that our Father gives us inside of us to help us combat sin is the same power he used to raise his son from the dead. There is strength there. There is power there. There is an unknowable, uncomprehendable power in what our God is willing to give us and supply us to fight our battles. And the next thing it says is that our God strengthens our growth by giving us a desire and giving us the ability to do, to act. Notice what it says. For it is God which worketh in you to will and to do. Our actions are important steps in the process, but they can't be done without the strength of God. They can't be done without the empowering work of God to give us the right motivation, to give us the right desires. And without the work of the Lord, we can't please Him as He would have us. And our works in and of themselves are as filthy rags. So we are faced with this idea that our God is working through us to give us the right desires, to enable us to have powerful works. Not because of us but because of his power and his goodness that he has given us, the strength he gives us to honor him. And this is where we get a little bit of our, uh, uh, I believe it's well well intended, the the phrase, or the sentence, I guess, let go and let God, right? Let go and let God. Are you struggling? Well, that's just because you're fighting the Lord. Just stop. Just just stop fighting. Everything will work out. God will work it all out in you. Don't worry about it. You're you're driving in a car? Don't worry. See, let go and let God, you know? Brushing your teeth? No, let go and let God. Study for a test. No, let go and let God. That's what I say. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that's the right idea at all. Well, I think the sentiment may be rooted in truth. Uh, I, do, I don't think the execution is, is that. 
The last thing that we should be encouraged to do is to have an attitude of complete neglect, to live a life of, of, of not rea- uh, relying on God's strength. Relying on God's strength is not passivity. It is action as he has commanded. He has given us plenty of lists. That's one of the reasons the New Testament's awesome. It says, hey, do this, do this, do this. This will help. Hey, try this, try this. He's given us commands. He's given us principles. He's given us things to live by and act on. And we can't think that it's just the desire or just the actions. We are told that it is both because our God gives us both. He gives us the desire and he equips our actions. We are still to be active just as our God is still active because we don't get timeouts. So the answer to our question, what does God do in our sanctification? Well, let's talk about us first. Our role in sanctification is to actively pursue obedience to God's word with the right view of God while relying on God to supply the strength we need to obey. God's role is to actively guide our desires and empower our actions through the work of his spirit. That's how he's chosen to work in us. That's how he's promised us to work. That's how he's decided he's going to work in us. And when those two work together, there's peace. There is growth. But that's not all we have. I know I'm running low on time, so I promise I'll be quick. I promised Ms. Weber that I'd be done early, so don't worry. We're going to get it. Uh, we, we, we've looked at uh, man, man and personal sanctification. We've, we've looked at God and personal sanctification, but now we're going to look at another aspect. We're going to look at what happens for us, the church. What is our responsibility? What is man to man, <laughs> brother to brother, sister to sister? What is our responsibility as a church to aid and equip sanctification? We're going to start adding to, our, uh, adding to our definition for man here, so don't get overwhelmed. It's going to be okay. Once again, we're supposed to be active. We have a responsibility to each other. Iron sharpens iron. Bury each other's burdens. We're supposed to be aware of each other enough to be able to comfort in times, to be able to challenge in times, to encourage in times, to support in times. We are to be active. And I don't just mean in service, uh, which is obviously great. (laughs) I'm not sure how many people really know uh, how much it takes to keep a church looking as good as it does, to keep our lawn (laughs) looking as good as it does. The, the, the hours of effort that go into our decorations, the hours of effort that go into our events, there's a lot of time and energy that go into that, that as a church, yeah, we should definitely be contributing to. The worst thing we can do as a church is let 90% of the work be done by 50% of the people. It'd be pretty cool if we had 100% of the work done by 100% of the people. But, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're not looking at directly service. We're looking at something else. We're looking at our path to discipleship. What does it mean to be discipled? What does it mean to disciple? And I can promise you that I may not have understood it or appreciated it when I was a bit younger and there were people pouring into me and loving on me and trying to guide me. But when I got to college, I started to look around and see all the ministry opportunities that, that, that churches were intentional with and I realized, oh wow, there were people who really cared. There were people who really put in that effort. There were people who went out of their way because they cared about my direction. They wanted to make sure that I didn't stray from the path that God gave. They wanted to make sure that I was obeying while relying and trusting him. They wanted to make sure that I was not giving way for for the old man to sneak back up. They were wanting to make sure that I was being transformed as I should be. And I can promise you, I'm going to speak for my people, college age, young people, teens, whatever we want to go by. 
We, we, we do. We have a desire to be, to be led. We have a desire to be taught. We have a desire to be discipled. And I'm going to flip the coin. I'm going to flip the coin because I know some of the adults in this room, and I'm going to speak on their behalf now. hope they're okay with that. These adults around us, these, these, the, these people around us who have more experience, who have more, more age, more, more understanding, they have a desire to disciple us. And what we need to be doing is putting both of those pieces to work. That comes in confrontation of sin, absolutely, the right way. It also comes in encouraging righteousness the right way. It comes, it comes with our personal relationships. I know no one in this room is going to be 300 people's best friend. It's going to be really awkward if they try. But if each of us just grab one person, a friend, uh, maybe someone older, maybe someone younger, and we just put our time into them. We're, we're asking them questions like Pastor Ben had us do at the end of the message today. We're, we're challenging each other to keep on growing, to keep on working out our sanctification. That's our role. That's our purpose. We don't get to be passive in here and then, and then go to work outside of the church. We don't, we don't, get, to, we don't get to come to church and, and, and kind of take our time out and then go back to work and then go give it everything we've got. Our, our effort should be spent within this room. Our effort should be spent within these, this building. Our effort should be spent with these people and how we can love them and encourage them. And so I'll wrap up now. As, uh, our role as the church must be to be actively guiding and supporting individuals through service and mentorship and a humble spirit to stay on the path of sanctification. Our growth is available. We all have the option, the opportunity to grow, but growth is active. We all have this available to us if we're willing to move towards it. And the path to sanctification is hard, but it is not done through vain attempts or vain actions. It is done through reliance and trust on God for his character and for what his word says and for his power to give us the strength to work with him, to help him as he equips us so that we can grow closer to him. So I challenge you tonight to remember the most important thing we talked about, which is that we have an active role to play. There's a lot of work to be done, but we can only do it and we can do it by following what God has given us in this passage. Father, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for the love that you display to us, not just through, through guiding us as we follow you, but also through the people that you've put into our lives, through the care that you've given us through their care. And I pray tonight as we, as we remember what's, what was spoken here, we would, we would remember the truth that you are working on in our hearts for. I pray that you would help us to get to a point where we honor you with the right desire and with the right action. We love you, Father, and we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we'll just take a minute as the pianist plays to think through the question, are you growing spiritually? You look at yourself a year, a year ago, are you, are you growing? Have you grown since then? Let's take some time, a couple minutes as they play to pray to God, to ask those questions. Am I viewing God correctly? Am I thinking about him like I should? Am I relying on God? Take some time before God to bring these to him.
play through one more time. Thank you. You may look up here. I hope you take these truths to heart. I hope that you grow in your relationship with God this week and you put some effort into it. Uh, So thank you, Daniel, for that. Uh, Let's pray and then we will be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing it has been to us. And I pray that we would be challenged, as we heard, to continue to grow, to not be apathetic, to not be stagnant, but to want to draw closer to you. And in turn, you promise that you will draw close to us. So, Father, we ask for your blessing as we dismiss. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us.